Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good evening. It's a great honor. I, uh, two years ago, I was speaking in Vancouver at a very large mission convention where I met Tom Clark. And uh, I was coming out of doing a session there. There's, uh, that was a mission fest in Vancouver. I think two or 3,000 people attend that. And I was coming out, a huge crowd was exiting the convention center and this tall, thin man accosted me and asked if I'd want to go to Ireland. And who doesn't? So I get, uh, when I speak, often invitations, and uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out for me to come, but this all fell into place, and I'm very, very grateful to have met you, and uh, that in God's good providence, here I am. Here I am with my family. So it's a great pleasure to be among you tonight. Here's an interesting story. Uh, A man who has had incredible influence in the churches in Canada. He's now in his 80s. He attends the church where I pastor. His name's Roy Bell. He grew up in Bangor. And he attended at age 10, 11, the very first worldwide. And I, he speaks of it very glowingly, remembers it vividly. And I think it had a profound impact on him. He went on to be one of the leading pastors and preachers in Canada, and, and then to teach at one of the leading seminaries in Canada, and has uh, had influence upon missionaries and pastors, <clears throat> not only in Canada, but because of the seminary he's associated with, it's an international student body through, throughout the world. And that's what this convention has done. So this man who has had an influence on me and mentored me, It's, uh, in some ways, a tribute to him and to you that I should be here today. Kayan Patok is a great Jewish novelist, and when he was growing up, he, from an early age, just knew he wanted to write books, and his mother wanted him to be a doctor. And so whenever he'd get talking about this desire to write books, and she said, Kaim, you don't want to write books. You don't make any money. Who, who cares about you? Be a doctor. You'll make lots of money. And you'll keep people from dying. And so she would repeat the speech over and over again. And he went off to university to study writing and literature to pursue his aspiration to be a novelist, and every time he'd come home from university, she'd say, come, you don't want to be a novelist. You don't want to be a writer. Become a doctor. You'll make lots of money, and you'll keep people from dying. And finally, this reached a crescendo where he blew up. And he said, Mom, I... I don't want to be a doctor. I don't care about making lots of money. I don't want to keep people from dying. I want to be a novelist, and I want to show them how to live. 
Now, here's the incredible thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that, well, you probably won't make lots of money. But you get to both keep people from dying and show them how to live. You get it all. There's a wonderful book by a man by Bill Bryson, and he's written a number of great books, but this one's called A History of Nearly Everything. And if you like a good read, I would recommend that highly. And he writes this, there's a huge amount, a really huge amount of energy bound up in every material thing. You may not feel outstandingly robust, but if you're an average-sized adult, you will contain within your modest frame no less than seven times 10 raised to the power of 18 joules of potential energy, enough to explode with a force of 30 very large hydrogen bombs, assuming you, know how, you knew how to liberate it and you really wish to make a point. We're just not very good at getting it out. Well, that may be in terms of physics, the energy that's bound up in us, but you know what the Bible says is that every Christ follower, because we have the spirit of Christ within us, well, Ephesians says this, that the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is also in you. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians that this power that is in you that allows you to know Christ, it's at work within you to, to unite your heart to him. And, and then he goes on, he says, well, it, God's power is exceedingly abundantly, God is doing exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. This power is at work within you and me. We're just not very good at getting it out. <laughs> you see, the power that is at I work with every follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who has confessed him and his spirits come to dwell within, is a power when it's loosed. It doesn't blow up like a hydrogen bomb. But it keeps people from dying because it introduces them to the Christ that you know. And it shows them how to live. Now the theme of this convention and the theme of tonight is living it out. I love Psalm, or, uh, yeah, Psalm 2, which seems to me, it's a messianic psalm, but in some ways it answers the question, how do we reach the world? And it says this, ask me, and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. Ask me. I mean, we're here to do that, aren't we? To ask the Lord of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the, 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 the lover of mankind, humankind, we're here to ask him for all the nations represented by all of these flags, and apparently there's some missing, but he knows what they are and where they are. Ask him, and he will give you the nations as an inheritance. That in our as I just mentioned, in our community, one-eighth of our community is First Nations people, many of them living in dreadful poverty and distress, largely ignored by the wider community. 
And God convicted me profoundly about five or six years ago that I had not asked him for the First Nations. Because to be honest, in Canada, not many people want the First Nations in their church. I had dinner a few years ago with a man from, pastor from New York that some of you may have heard of, Jim Simbala. Uh, he's written some very good books on prayer. One I would highly recommend is Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. But uh, during the dinner time with Pastor Simbala, he turned to me and he said, Mark, do you know what the greatest sin of the church in America is. And I started wondering what could be the greatest sin and, you know, is it that the pornography within the church, the the viewing of that is roughly equivalent to outside or the divorce rate is in some instances even higher among evangelicals and within the larger community. I, I ran through six or seven things that I thought might qualify for the worst sin. Anyhow, I didn't get to one. He said, Mark, the worst sin is that the leaders in our churches are not on their knees begging the Lord for the sick and the dying and the broken, for the drug addicted, for the prostitutes. They're not begging God, could you bring them to us? That within us, because Christ is within us, Christ has gripped us, Christ is transforming us, is a power that when it is released, keeps people from dying and teaches them how to live. Mark, that's the greatest sin in the church in America. And I thought, oh, it's terrible to be an American. (laughs) But actually, God convicted me, and I realized at that point that I had not been asking the Lord for the First Nations and people in our community, a large population of people, as I mentioned, who are struggling with various addictions. And so I brought that back to my leadership, and we began to get on our knees and ask God. Darned if he didn't send them. It's a mess. It's a mess. But I tell you that if you want your prayers to go from just kind of going through the motion to desperately crying out to the Father for his provision and his heart, if you want your faith to go from something merely intellectual to something that unless unless he is there and he is with you and he is for you, you are going down. Ask. Ask. What are the nations around you? Ask. What are the cultures around you? Ask. I want to inherit that, God. Living it out. Well, I want to take you quickly to an Old Testament character who's one of my heroes. Uh, Because it seems to me that he represents qualities that I want to imitate in living out 
this radical faith. And if you turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, and this is a story of Caleb, who wasn't even an Israelite. <clears throat> he was a Kenizzite. So many ites in the Bible, you know, Mennonites and all of that. That's a joke, but it usually goes down better in North America. <laughs> Verse 6, it says, Now the men of Judah approached Joshua of Gilgal and Caleb. This is uh, Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, a man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Do we have anyone 85 years old or older in this congregation? Anyone? I think some of you, okay, some of you are are timidly holding up your hands. Uh, So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. And so Moses gives them the hill country. Don't you like this guy? I mean, don't you see him, 85 years old, and he's... He's just feisty, you know, ropey-muscled, and he's sort of stalking up there, and I'm just in first today. He just wants to fight. I love this. Young people here, listen. Make it your resolve right now to finish well. Decide in your heart right now to finish well. There's a, a, a lot of men and women in Canada, I don't know how it is in Ireland, and I don't think they made that promise and that vow to themselves that they would finish well, and they're not finishing well. They're finishing angry and disappointed and bitter. And some of you older people, you can choose today if you're not living the course that you are finishing well for the sake of the kingdom and for sake of the youth in your culture, in your church, would you do it now? Would you just decide to get over whatever anger or disappointment you have and get the heart of Caleb in you? I love this guy. Now, there's three things I want to quickly point out because it seems to me that Caleb represents what it is to live it out. He comes up to Moses and he said, uh, the number one thing he says is, I, 
Remember when I reported to you according to my convictions. I think he's a man who's always spoken and lived according to his convictions. We've got way too much opinion going on in our churches. I've got a lot of opinion. I have people every Sunday come up and they've got an opinion about the music and they've got an opinion about something or another. And opinion's fine. But what really moves the world is conviction. What really moves the kingdom forward is conviction. Reporting according to conviction that when you are actually going to speak, when you're going to open your mouth and say something, it has been forged in the furnace of deep conviction. What does God say? You see, when Caleb and Joshua went in with the other spies, God had already promised them conquest. He had already promised them the nations. He had already promised them the land. He had already said, wherever you set your foot, then I will be with you. It will be yours. And only two of them believed it. And everyone else reported according to their opinion. Or even their belief. You know, the difference between a belief and a conviction is this. A belief is something you hold. And a conviction is something that holds you. You see, if it's something you hold, then you can put it down when it becomes inconvenient. If it's something that holds you, your life depends upon it. Let me give you an illustration. Um, I'm just turned 50. Hard to believe, I know. But when I turned, I think, 44, 45, uh, we live, uh, our front window looks out on this bluff called Mount Prevost. And uh, during a certain time of the year when there's good thermal drafts coming up, you see paragliders uh, jumping off of that and swooping down like birds. And I would always watch these fellows and I would say, boy, I'd love to do that one day. And, and my wife took me seriously. And when I turned 44, 45, she bought me a paraglide session. Anyhow, uh, I was actually quite excited, and I called the guy up, and he, and he came, uh, came up from Victoria to where I live. And we went up, and uh, we drove up as far as we could up the road behind this bluff. And then we had to do the last half mile through this very steep trail through thick bush. And we had to haul all of the equipment up with us huge bag with uh, all the ropes and the guides, uh, the, the um, sail and the harness and huge things. We're hauling it up. It was a hot day and we're sweating and grunting and getting scratched up by all the bushes. And um, there was a few moments where I thought, this is, this is not worth it. I mean, having to haul this thing up, I'm doing all the work, I'm paying this guy. and It's not worth it. We got up there, we laid out the paraglide, got all the ropes all going in the right direction, put the harness on, and uh, the cliff's about 20 feet away, and he says to me, it's a, it's a tandem thing, so he's behind me in a harness and I'm in front, and he says to me, now on the count of three, run toward the cliff as fast as you can. 
<clears throat> and he goes, one, two. I said, wait a second. Um, <laughs> is, is there anything else here? That, you know, no, he says, just on the count of three, run toward the cliff as fast as you can. Okay. One, two, three. So I start running toward this cliff as fast as I can and um, barreling toward the precipice. And then the paraglide opens up and lifts up and fills up with air. And suddenly I'm in slow motion as this thing is giving a back drag. And I run right off this cliff and my feet are going like, you know, the wily coyote. <laughs> and I'm looking down and, and he says, you can stop running now. Anyhow, it was, it was, uh, I, I lived, by the way, if you were wondering. It was an amazing experience. I, I think that's probably as close to being a bird as I'll get. And we swooped and we soared, and then coming down, he said, do you want to do tricks before we land? Or, and I was, you know, I was in good now, so I said, well, let's do that. So he started doing loop-de-loops and all of that. Amazing experience. Here's the thing. Up until that moment I stepped off the cliff, I was carrying the stuff. And it almost got so inconvenient I wanted to put it down. When I stepped off that cliff, the stuff was carrying me. And to get out of that harness would have been to my mortal peril. Let me tell you what a conviction is over a belief. A belief is just something you carry. You carry beliefs about Jesus and the moral life and all of that. But beliefs are things that are, I see people do it all the time. They're just easy to put down when they become burdensome. A conviction you only get out of at the risk of losing your own life, it holds you. I reported, he says, according to my conviction. That's how you live it out. Nurture a profound conviction in the reality of who Christ is and his work and claim on you. That if one day they come and the prayer that Jeff prayed, that we get to worship here in freedom and our lives aren't threatened by coming here, it may happen one day. But it's such a conviction that you would not let it down because your life depends on this. I report according to my convictions. The second thing Caleb says is he says that I was a wholehearted follower. In fact, every time we have Caleb mentioned in the Old Testament, virtually every time, this is mentioned about him. I'm a wholehearted follower. What it actually means in the Hebrew is that his heart was completely filled and utterly satisfied with God. God was enough. God was enough. One of the signs in the text that we know that God was enough for Caleb is he describes the cowards who turned the hearts of the people and melted them and turned them toward fear. He describes them 45 years later as my brothers. He doesn't groan bitter. He doesn't nurse a grudge. God has been enough for him. I don't think he's asking for hill country because he's lived his life just saying, I want mine. 
I think he just knows God's faithful. God delivers on his promises. He's a wholehearted follower of the Lord. God is enough. And then the last thing he says, I love this. He says, I'm still as strong and I'm just as vigorous. Uh, the, the word in the Hebrew for vigorous means that he is fully alive. This guy is really just brimming with vitality. But the word for strong is uh, it's a hard word to translate. But basically it means I'm still scrappy. I am spoiling for a fight here. Is God getting bigger for you? You see, the only reason a man at 85 years of age can stay that and can mean that. I'm just as scrappy. I'm just as ready to take on whatever you've got for me. Give me a big challenge. Is it your God is getting bigger as you get older? I love the scene in uh, the C.S. Lewis novel. I believe it's a silver chair where a, a girl in the book by the name of Jill who does not believe um, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up. Uh, the, uh, the, it's the um, Prince Caspian, where Lucy, the little girl who deeply believes in Aslan, Aslan is the, the Christ figure in Lewis's Narnia Chronicles. And Lucy uh, longs to see Aslan again. She's been in Narnia once before, and she comes back, and it's many years later, longs to see Aslan the lion, the Christ figure. And uh, the children, other children, just tell her to get on with things. And one evening she awakens and she senses that she's to go out into the woods and she goes through the woods and comes out in this clearing and there is Aslan in all of his grandeur and all of his beauty. And she runs to him, she throws herself on him and he kisses her and she kisses him and they hug and they reunite. And as she steps back, she says to him, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, oh, no, my child, you're just older. And she says, you mean you're not bigger? He says, no, my child, but every year that you grow, you shall find me so. This is a man of wholeheartedness. This is a man of conviction. And this is a man who's getting stronger and more vigorous, even at 85 years old. And I'll tell you why. Because his God is bigger. Is your God bigger? The sign of the bigness of his God is, he says, at 85 years of age, Give me hill country and give me some giants to fight. (laughs) 
Give me a tough assignment. I don't want pasture land. Give me that stony stuff up there. I want a tough job to do. And there's some unfinished business. There's still these giants out there. And God being my helper, I will do what I need to do. My mentor, Roy Bell, I think is, is Cheryl, is he 85 this year? 85. He's vigorous. He's uh, got early onset of, of Alzheimer's, but he's very vigorous. Is it the first worldwide? He's gone on to, to settle a lot of hill countries and fight a lot of giants. I'm wondering who are the Caleb's among us tonight. And I'm wondering if it might be you. Father God, I thank you that you're a God who calls, who appoints, who empowers. God, you can take someone like Caleb who wasn't even initially part of the covenant people and enfold him and include him and make him an ambassador and a representative of what it is to live it out. God, I pray through this week that you would grow us in that conviction, that you would strengthen us in a wholeheartedness, wholehearted commitment to follow you. And that as we get older, you would get bigger. That our vigor and strength would not wane because our God is a God who does not grow tired, who does not grow weary. Who every year we grow, we see you bigger. And Father, I pray that just as some 70 some odd years ago as a man who's had a profound influence in many, many missionaries and pastors' lives sat and heard whoever spoke at that first worldwide, I pray at this one some Caleb's would arise. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.